Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Now, this episode is really special because we have taken the best of the best, the best insights from this first quarter of podcast. So you're going to get some really good learning in a very concise period of time. And the other thing is, is I've got the great Kula Callahan with me, my partner on three questions, which we post every Monday that I hope you're listening to. But Kula and I are going to do this together. And Kula, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me on a Thursday episode. I'm <laughs> pumped to be here. I love a highlight reel. So we're giving you the quarter one highlight reel of how leaders lead. And it is a good one. I'm ready and let's have some fun. Let's kick this off with the same episode that launched us into 2023, the new year, and that was with Ty and Kobe from Dude Perfect. Now, these guys are something else. They've built a massive following on YouTube, which started with trick shots and has now expanded to all sorts of other family-friendly content. And get this, their YouTube channel now has over 15 billion views. And I'll tell you something, if there's a trait that I see time and time again in top leaders, it's competitiveness. And in this clip, I had a little fun asking the guys how they keep their competitiveness in check. I have to tell you, you only have to watch about four seconds of any of your videos to see that you guys are wildly competitive. <laughs> what? How in the world do you keep it in check? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we, we don't, <laughs> actually. The good news for us is everything that we do is uh, edited and trimmed and made to look like we kind of keep it all in check. But we have <laughs> half the battles and competitions that we do probably get a little bit too out of hand because of the competitiveness. And uh, luckily, that stuff just gets edited out on the cutting room floor. And then, you know, you guys are presented with a nice clean, wholesome version of, of Dude Perfect. And uh, you don't get to see a little bit of the competitiveness that happens where somebody gets in a bad mood because somebody broke a rule of a game that we just made up five seconds ago. Uh, we are all very uh, prideful individuals. And that, along with the competitiveness, doesn't always add up for a recipe of success. We've joked, we do a series called All Sports Golf, where we go out on a golf course and we use everything but golf to work your way down the fairway. And we've done that with a couple of celebrities at this point. And you would think that the celebrity being there is enough to keep us in check and to actually handle ourselves well. But when you get in the heat of that competition, all of a sudden you're making a fool of yourself in front of somebody that, you know, you've always respected. And Sorry, Zach Efron. We need you to sit right there while we hash this while out. While we try to figure out whether uh, hitting that badminton twice was worth one yeah. or two strokes. By the way, if you haven't watched Dude Perfect on YouTube, you owe it to yourself to do it. My wife and I, as we did the research, we watched so many of their episodes on YouTube. It's the funniest thing on television that I've seen. So you got to go watch these guys. It's hilarious. And after you're watching them on YouTube, listen to my entire conversation with Dude Perfect on episode 116. 
Well, David, you're right about that competitiveness because our next guest shares that same characteristic in his leadership. His name is Chris Kimchinsky, the CEO of McDonald's. And you're about to hear Chris break down a quote from the McDonald's founder, Ray Kroc. It says this, if you're not green and growing, you're red and rotten. Take a listen. Well, Ray's got a whole sort of book of fantastic quotes. And anytime I'm looking for inspiration, we have an archivist here at McDonald's who has every speech, every interview, et cetera, Ray ever did. And there's some real nuggets in there, some real jewels. So it's it's a great source of inspiration when you're looking for a way to tap back into the genius of Ray Kroc. But that's a great one that you highlighted there. And, and where I use it a lot of times is about this need for us to be a more risk-taking organization. And one of the challenges that you have when you become a brand or a company like McDonald's and you're in a leadership position is it can create a false sense of complacency or a false sense of comfort that we're the leader now, we're preordained to be the leader forever. And as you well know, in fact, it's constantly, it's a moving bar. And if you're not green and growing, you are red and rotten. And so I've used that time and again, where the organization will ask about things. For example, we did a big remodel program in the U.S. several years ago. And there were questions about, well, why do we need a remodel right now? And by the way, a big part of what we were doing is we were getting ready for a digital future. So we were putting in kiosks in all of our restaurants. We were putting in digital menu boards into all of our drive-throughs. We were putting perimeters or geofencing around all of our restaurants so that if someone came across the geofence with an app, that we would actually know that someone now was on property. So we had to do all of those investments. And those, all the way, by the way, all happened before COVID. But there was pushback, as you would imagine, because those things cost a lot of money and they cause a lot of disruption and sort of why do we need to do this? And it's because of what we saw where the consumer was going. And lo and behold, thank God we did, because those things ended up being game changers for us when we went through COVID. So it's a lot around innovation that I dust off those Ray Kroc quotes, and they still carry resonance today. That's a good one. And, you know, I I read that every day McDonald's feeds 1% of the world's population. When you hear a statistic like that, Chris, what comes to mind? Love to get it to 2%. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that full episode with Chris Kimchinsky is episode 117. And I have to tell you, our next guest is a dear friend of mine and one of the top cardiologists in the world. Her name is Dr. Holly Anderson. Holly is the founder of the hands-only CPR movement and is raising awareness of simple things people can do to reduce their risk of heart disease, which happens to be the leading cause of death for women in the world. And because Holly is so good at raising awareness, I ask her what other leaders can do to help spread the word about whatever it is they're trying to make happen in the world. Listen in. You know, I think you got to be passionate about it. I think you got to love what you're doing. If you're passionate about a message, you find a way to make it work. And we're all busy, but if you're busy doing things you don't like, then you're busy and unhappy. But if you find things that are important and these things are important to me, then you find ways to get them done. And you find people who are also willing to help you get these done. And I've had so many fantastic, you know, Nicole Kidman was the first person to help me with the hands-only CPR campaign because, you know, her father died of sudden cardiac arrest, having lunch with her sister. And 
he probably shouldn't have died if someone knew what to do in, in the restaurant. And so, so many people are touched by this and so many people are willing to help you that I think if you're motivated to get things done, doors open. But I got to get more done. Yeah, well, I'm sure you will. You know, and, and to truly have an impact as leaders, we have to stay healthy. And I'd like you to get super practical with this for a, for a minute here. Being that heart disease is the number one cause of death, what can we do to avoid this? You know, I think it goes back to what your grandmother told you. Get a good night's sleep. Sleep is underappreciated. Sleep is so important. Get a good night's sleep. Eat your fruits and vegetables. Have a diet that's replete with whole foods, particularly a lot of plants, the Mediterranean diet. Be physically active. You know, go outside, run around, play with your friends. Physical activity is the fountain of youth. Do something, get your heart rate up. But it's not just okay to exercise for 45 minutes. Be active in your non-exercise time. It's not okay to sit in front of a computer all day long. Prolonged sitting predicts cardiovascular risk and, and survival. Get up and move and yes, get your blood pressure, get your sugar, get your lipids checked. We can help you with that. But the more I'm a preventive cardiologist, the more I really also believe that what we choose to think about directly impacts everything about our health. So I think that people who are able to see part of the glass that's half full, people who are grateful, people who have a sense of humor, live longer and are happier than people who don't. If you want to hear the entire conversation, go back and listen to episode 120. David, one of your key tenets in leadership is that if you want to make big things happen, you have to take people with you. It's never just about one person. It's about the team. And our next guest models that leadership idea so well. His name is Junior Bridgman. He's a former NBA player who's now one of the greatest entrepreneurs in our country. Junior built his business career as a franchisee owning 450 Wendy's restaurants, and he's now one of the leading Coke bottlers in the U.S. and all of Canada. Take a listen to this clip. It's always about people. And I went back to the team aspect of basketball, and when we were successful, we played as a team. So well, how does that translate into the restaurant business? A lot of times, people don't focus on or don't approach it from the same team aspect. They approach it from, you know, this managers and then you have the crew. And what we did, we tried to understand what was important to everybody in the restaurant. And that meant really understanding the crew and realizing what's important to them. I guess the best example I can give in Milwaukee, we had the five stores and they were low volume stores. No one really cared. And so we did what most people would do. We came in and, uh, okay, we need to get rid of people. So, I mean, one store in the inner city, we turned the crew over three times. And yet it wasn't until we realized that if you're going to get these people to care about this store and this business, they need to know that you care about them. And so in Milwaukee at that time, if you got stopped for a traffic violation, you went right to jail. Boom. They just took, I mean, craziest rule or law, but they took you right to jail. And so we would go bail out all of our employees. I mean, the next day, you know, we needed them to work. But what it did was it showed the people that we cared more about them than just, you know, someone coming to work. And that started the whole changing of the mindset. And they started to think that, well, these guys do care. And then, you know, there's a ton of things where, you know, Rodney, I remember he has, apartment burned down. And so we helped them with all of that. But it wasn't until the people realized that we cared about them more than just someone that worked for us that 
then things started to change. And as they did, those stores volumes really started to pick up. How much time did you spend just working on creating that kind of culture? That was all we did. And I don't know if that ever really stopped. Yeah, you know, I think we still, you still work on the culture. You think that it's set and it's how we do business, how everybody looks at the business, but you still have new people coming in. And and people may hear about things, but not until they really see proof that this is how you're going to be. This is the type of culture company you have. Do they really buy in? So I don't think it ever stopped. I think we've gotten hopefully better at it, but also I hope that everyone's come to understand over all these years that this is how this type of company we are. That clip is from episode 103, if you want to hear the entire conversation with Junior. I'll tell you, the thing I love about Junior Bridgman is that he really knows his business cold, but he's one of the most humble people in the world given everything he's accomplished as a professional athlete and as a business person. And one of my favorite guests we've had on this show so far this year was Carol Tomei, the CEO of UPS. And talk about focusing on people. That's something Carol is big on as well. I asked what she's doing at UPS to bring her leaders along because if she wants to drive this idea throughout the organization, she can't be the only one trying to make it happen. For my um, executive leadership team, I have defined development plans for each of them. And we meet frequently to go through the development plans to measure uh, progress against those development plans. And oftentimes, development plans are confused with operating plans. We have operating plans. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about leadership development plans. Those are harder plans to put together than operating plans, candidly. It's much easier to talk about the numbers, right? You hit it, you didn't, you missed it, what are you doing? But leadership, you know, how are you showing up in front of people? How are you developing your people? So I spend most of my time on people development, and it's not just my direct reports, but how they're developing their direct reports. And I know, I know our people, I know them. You know, everyone gets motivated by different things, and you've got to understand that. You really got to understand that so you can help invest in them and help them reach their highest potential, whatever it may be. We have, you know, we've got the traditional training programs and external partners that we use to help on this. But I, I believe that leadership development is personal. And if your boss takes a personal interest in you, you're going to grow differently. We also have coaches we bring in, too. I think that's important. Sometimes it's necessary. But for me, it's personal. You can go back and listen to my entire conversation with Carol on episode 118. All right, David. Our next guest is Ray Scott, president and CEO of the Lear Corporation. And Lear Corporation is a company that provides seating and electronic systems to major automotive brands. So all of those fun little gadgets in your car that allow you to adjust the seat and the temperature of your car seat, you can thank Ray Scott and his team for that. They're trying to make every drive better. In your interview, David, you asked Ray how he balances delivering short-term results while at the same time preparing for the future. And I really loved what he had to say about that. Those conflict at times, David. <laughs> it's like, you know, short-term, my team's always, I'm in the forecast reviews going through. We, we, you know, obviously we have a mindset of achieving the short-term goals, the quarterly earnings, those type of fun things. And then at the same time, we have very, very specific goals on where we want to take the company strategically. And some of those investments and things conflict with what we're trying to do short term. And so it's that balance. 
And I find in the automotive industry, you know, that's that fear of failure and you can't fail. It's a mentality of every day you're delivering, you know, from quality expectations to delivery to, you know, meeting the efficiencies or costs that our customers are looking for. Longer term, you have to open up your mind and you have to think and shape it differently and, and think about, in some respects, displacing yourself or how the world can look five, 10 years from now. And so those are two critically different ways of running the business. And so we have individuals that are very focused on execution, the tactical play day to day. And then we have teams and I, you know, I've separated those teams that are much more focused on where the business is going to go, you know, not chasing parts, but chasing the future as far as where strategically we can go. And what I've learned is those are two different talents. And so setting those teams up independently, looking at how we can you know, drive sustainable materials, how we're going to drive thermal comfort uh, solutions for heat and cool, how we're going to drive uh, electrification within power distribution. Those teams are really set up to position us long term. And so I think having that balance is very important, you know, and having the right skill sets, the people around that that have the right capabilities is equally as important. When I started at Lear Corporation, $600 million, you know, not making money, trying to drive free cash flow. Today, where we actually have doctors within the organization that are set on your anthropometric measurements, your bio readings, your the heat and cooling elements. So, I mean, the sophistication and technology where we're seeing the future of the auto space, particularly around seating and, and electrification, are critical. And that type of talent is required with the execution. That full interview with Ray is episode 125, if you want to go back in the feed and give it a listen. Cool. I'm really glad you shared that segment with Ray. He's a very insightful guy. You know, I really had fun meeting him and speaking to his Lear Corporation leadership team in Florida. You can see a culture when it's really powerful just by the energy in the place. And uh, he's really doing a super job there. And speaking of somebody who is well known for building an incredible culture in retail, well, this next clip is from an icon. It's with Bernie Marcus, the co-founder of Home Depot. And I like to say that podcast is unhinged. We have so many mutual friends, but this was actually my first opportunity to spend time with the legend himself. And I think you're going to enjoy hearing just a little piece of our conversation with Bernie as he shares the importance of listening to your team and what can happen in your business when you do. I think that one of the things that, David, you should know, a good leader is somebody who listens to people but I mean, listens, incorporate what they're saying into your brain and into your computer and think about it. And if they're right, you admit that you're wrong and you adopt whatever policy they have. And so many times he was right about so many things. But of course, you know, that was the same thing I did with George Schultz and many other people that I met in my lifetime. They were all very smart. And you had to listen to what they said. And in many cases, they made sense and changed the direction you were going in. Bernie, if you had to pick one trait that separates you as a leader, what would it be? And, and tell me a time when it really paid off for you. Well, I could tell you a thousand times this thing about listening, where, I mean, people don't listen 
you know, you say something to them and you know it like bounces off a rock. They, it just per, doesn't permeate their brain. You know, I would be in a store and I'd had to be a 17 or 18 year old kid. I was walking through a store one day and there was a product that we're out of. And I said, why are we out of it? And he said, we're always out of it. And I said, what, why are you out of it? Why don't you order more? He said, well, there's no place to put it. So I said, well, that, that's pretty stupid. In other words, if you had two times or three times more of what you have, would you sell it? He said, if I had 10 times more, I could sell it. I said, so why don't we do something? He said, I don't know. I would stack it on a damn floor. Well, that turned out to be a multi-million dollar idea. I went back and I said, holy Christ, this guy is right. Let's stack the stuff on a floor because we had no room on, in the shelves. And the more we put out, the more we sold. So listening really became the key thing for me. Uh, we, we taught our people when we, when we trained our people to listen to people. Some of the greatest ideas came out of the most unlikely places. And you could make millions of dollars. I can give you 50 different times that happened to me in my lifetime. You can hear my entire conversation with Bernie on episode 119, and you might want to tune in to find out how he's been able to sell so many bathtubs. David, you're right. That episode with Bernie is indeed unhinged. I believe it's the only How Leaders Lead episode that is marked as explicit, and that is not because of any foul words that you said. That would all be the 93-year-old Bernie Marcus. And one thing that really stuck out to me in that conversation is the emphasis Bernie puts on working hard, doing whatever it took to build the business. And sometimes that meant putting in a lot of hours. It feels like there's been a shift in our culture today. And I'm not saying people don't work hard anymore, but there's definitely a lot more talk about balance. This next guest has some thoughts about that idea. This clip is from your conversation with Bill Rhodes, the CEO of AutoZone. Take a listen. It's a lesson dad taught me uh, years and years ago. I'm sure you know who Kimmons Wilson is, one of the great Memphians who founded Holiday Inn. I never get the quote exactly right, but my dad beat this quote into my head, which was, if you want to be successful, all you have to do is work half a day every day. And it doesn't matter which 12 hours it is. <laughs> You know, in today's society, a lot of times we don't want to talk about the value of hard work. We want to talk many times about balance, you know, work-life balance. And we have to make sure that in the work-life balance that we don't forget the work part of it. And I always believe the harder you work, the smarter you get. I think that that was one of the things that my father taught me amongst a ton of others. My dad, as I mentioned earlier, he was a coach's coach. And I could listen in, sit in his office, and I'd watch him print off these reports, and I'd watch him circle numbers, and then I'd see him pick up the telephone, and he'd start talking to every one of his branch managers. And he always found something positive to talk to them about. But they all knew at the end of the day, there was going to be one of those numbers that he was going to hone in on and say, hey, what are we doing on this front? How do we get better here? And this notion of continuous improvement, evolution over revolution, I think my dad taught me a lot of those lessons. 
I love Bill. And I, I love the fact that when you think about work-life balance, he says, don't forget the work part of it. That is just such a great insight. And let me tell you something. He is so compassionate and caring about the people that work in his company. I mean, he cares about everybody and genuinely does. This guy is so into the front line. He's a leader that I think everyone should really emulate because he spends time with the people who really make it happen and he values them immensely. And speaking of work-life balance, let's stay on that theme and let's learn how you juggle life and work. Don Hudson, who's the former president and CEO of Pepsi-Cola North America and the former chief marketing officer of the NFL, she had some thoughts on this that I think are very, very insightful. And what she talks about is the importance of integrating the two, personal and business. You know, the advice I, I gave to my organization at Pepsi, I give to myself, I give to my daughters constantly is when you're dead, nobody's going to write on your tombstone. I wish I'd worked an hour harder every day. They're going to write on your tombstone. I wish I had more time with friends and family. And that's not to say to leave work to spend time with friends and family. It's about making sure that you have the balance that works for you. There's no such thing as completely doing it all and being a superwoman. It's doing the right thing for you at the right point in your time in your career. So the thing I've learned and I advise others to do is don't separate the two. You do not have a list of to-dos for work and a list of to-dos for personal. It's just never that simple. When your daughter needs to go to the doctor, it's during the day. And now, you know, at night you have to respond to the email from somebody in business. So it's integrate the two and make sure. I always used to say to people, just tell your boss, you've got to go and take your parent needs to see a doctor and you want to go with them. You're not going to take the day off. I'm going to be gone for two or three hours. I want to make sure I'm not missing. Is it okay? Integrate and be honest. People respect that. And I think, again, bring your whole self to work. If you can't be open and honest about what's going on, you don't feel comfortable. It's really important in your culture that you have to be home for dinner every night and be part of making the dinner, and you have to leave. You can say, I'll get back online at 9, check things, but I've got to leave at 5.30. Just being able to do what's right for you and integrate the personal priorities with the business priorities. I mean, I have a list of to-dos when I was at Pepsi in the NFL, and it would be like, get with CBS to uh, you know change how they talk about concussions, make an appointment for Morgan to go to the doctor. You know, All the same list, because they're all important to me personally. That's from episode 127 if you want to hear our entire conversation. Gosh, I love that episode with Dawn Hudson so much. In it, she refers to herself as a bad sister, and I just love that energy. I have to say, since you listened to that episode with Dawn, you have become a bad sister, Kula. I mean, I, <laughs> you, you're keeping me on, on my toes. Someone's got to bring that energy to you, David. All right, David, we've only got three more clips left in this Best of Q1 episode, and I'm going to take two in a row here so you can close us out with the Condoleezza Rice clip at the end. Our next guest is Dr. John Noseworthy, CEO Emeritus of Mayo Clinic. John was a CEO of Mayo for 10 years, and what he did that was so remarkable was that he took a high-performing organization and continued to make positive change. It's easy in a business when things are going well to kind of just let it ride, but how John led and the culture he created at Mayo was to continue driving change 
even though they were already successful. That took a lot of conviction, and you'll hear more about how he navigated it in this next clip. Well, probably the best story, literally, is a thought leader in, at the clinic stood up in the auditorium, literally stood up with his hand up in the air and said, Dr. Notesworthy, and we were friends. I mean, we'd seen patients together for 15 years. He said, you're going to ruin the Mayo Clinic. You know, that's kind of like day one on the job. <laughs> so you basically have to just absorb it, have a sense of humor. It's nice to be trusted and known. I mean, for me, I'd worked there forever and had seen patients with all these people, done research with all these people. Um, so there's a vast majority realized, even though we're a not-for-profit, if Mayo Clinic operates in the red, we're not immune. We'd have to close. And then how could we help patients if we can't sustain the business model? So physicians at Mayo, salaried physicians, recruited for their excellence, didn't need to know much about the business of medicine. And so they hadn't been instructed in it. They really didn't know. People would regularly say, look at my revenues. And I'd say, yep. Would you like to look at your expenses? Why? Is that important? Yes. We're actually losing money on your practice, but I've generated this and that, these bills or whatever. So physicians, in they're not stupid people, as you know, but they're not primarily business people. And if they're working in a place like Mayo where they are protected from the, the business model, they need to be instructed. And so you take a step back and you, and you reevaluate with them is the primary value still the same? Are we here to meet the patient's needs? Do we believe we need to drive up quality? Do we need to invest more in research? Do we need to invest in your pension? Do we need to build better facilities? Do we need to grow so we see more patients? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, if that's the case, then this is what we need to do, and I need you to help me do that. The other thing that I think is really important when you're leading a culture-rich institution is to... Make sure that folks know that likely that your organization has done this before. I mean, Mayo Clinic had lived through the First and Second World War, the Depression, and so on. And they made changes that they needed to make in order to be successful. Because people don't like anything that's new. And that person said, you're going to ruin the place. I said, well, we did this during the Depression, and it worked. We did it during World War II, and it worked. And we're going to do it now, and it'll work. And it did. If you want to hear that full episode, it was episode number 124. Okay, this next clip is from Jay Billis, who is one of the leading basketball analysts at ESPN. And if you're a sports fan or if you've watched TV at all this month, you've probably seen Jay or heard his voice a lot because we're in the middle of March Madness and Jay certainly has been all over it. Jay played at Duke under Coach K and he knows about what it takes to build a high-performing team. Here's a clip about something Jay learned actually from a NASA engineer. And I think it's a powerful learning that we can all apply to our own leadership as we continue to build high-performing teams. I wrote a book years ago and I consulted a NASA engineer named Daryl Woods. And, and he, he was really helpful to me in illuminating a lot of things. And he had talked about getting this complex team together for the space shuttle that all had different elements of the shuttle that they were responsible for. And I asked him, like, what's the biggest challenge? And he said, the biggest challenge is all these different units that we have that are in charge of the guidance system or the rocket booster system or things like that. They can get siloed in their work and think that their element is the most important thing. 
and he came up with this phrase. He would say, responsible to the element, accountable to the mission. He would talk to his group and say, your element will not fly by itself, but the spacecraft will not fly without your element. And so it was of vital importance, but it's not the only thing. And when I heard him say responsible to the element, accountable to the mission, the first thing I thought about was basketball. And he was a huge basketball fan, Daryl, a Kentucky fan. And I thought basketball, like that's man-to-man defense. Like I'm responsible for this man. He's my assignment. But if he doesn't score, that doesn't mean I've been successful. The mission is to stop the other team from scoring. And I have to do what it takes, you know, be responsible for my man, but accountable to our entire defense to make sure that, that the other team doesn't score. You know, you're part of a larger whole. And sometimes it's hard for people, players, lawyers, broadcasters, to think, you know, when I sit on the sidelines for a game, we as broadcasters get the most attention. We're not the most important. Because if all the equipment doesn't work, nobody hears what we can say anyway. And if the pictures aren't good from the, the camera professionals, then the people that are watching the game aren't having a good experience, no matter what I say. I'm not going to be a radio broadcaster and illuminate something if they can't see the pictures. They're turning the TV off. So you're part of a larger whole. And accepting that, I think, is really important and understanding your place in it. If you want to hear the full episode with Jay, it's number 126. The last clip today is with Dr. Condoleezza Rice, the former United States Secretary of State and National Security Advisor. And I thought this was a great one to end on because it's such sound advice from Condi for any leader. I always say something that's maybe a little bit ironic or paradoxical, which is that I'm actually glad I grew up in segregated Birmingham. Now, I was eight, nine years old when the Civil Rights Act passed and life was different. But in those years before, you couldn't go to a movie theater, couldn't go to a restaurant. But our parents in my little community, which was a community, I think, David, everybody in that community taught school. I think we had one lawyer, one doctor, everybody else taught school. And they would say, um, you know, you're just going to have to be twice as good to survive in a segregated environment. So we went around trying to be twice as good. I tell my students to this day, if you're trying to be twice as good, you will work twice as hard. You will therefore be twice as confident and twice as prepared. And then they said, there are no victims. You may not be able to control your circumstances, but you can control your response to your circumstances. And if you consider yourself a victim, then you have given control of your life to somebody else. Those two lessons I took with me that it was a kind of armor in their way of preparing us for what they thought was likely to be a very hostile world for a long time to come. Now, as it turned out, uh, we had the great civil rights legislation. We've made a lot of progress. But still, that if there's a barrier, you go around it, over it, or through it, but you don't let it stop you. I learned that in circumstances of segregated Birmingham, and I'm grateful because I took those lessons into life with me. You've been around all the top leaders in the world. And what are the traits you've seen of the best leaders? And what are you looking for in this coach that you're going to hire for the Denver Broncos? Well, the best leaders are first and foremost people who, the people that they're leading, they trust them. If you violate trust, you can never get it back. 
And uh, you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I asking somebody to do something I myself wouldn't do? Uh, George Schultz, great friend who died at 100 years old, used to say trust is the coin of the realm. And I really do believe that. Secondly, as a leader, you have to be able to motivate people, but, you know, not just with great motivational speakers. Motivating people means motivating others to take on their leadership task. You know, seeing leadership characteristics in others. You know, when we, we talk to great coaches, they talk about the locker room and the leaders who emerge within that locker room. Well, it's the same on any team. It's, it's the same if you're a CEO. It's the same if you're a university leader. It's the same if you're in government. You have to inspire others to lead. And then finally, I think you have to have help people have a sense of where they're going. People like to know what is expected of them. But not just what is expected of them today, what's expected of them on the pathway to getting where we all want to go. And so I sometimes try to be pretty specific with people about what are we doing today uh, to end up where we want to be at the end of this path. Go to episode 121 and listen to the entire conversation we had with Condi. It is a great one. Well, Kula, I had a lot of fun listening back to those remarkable insights from our guests the past few months. I did too, David. And as you know, we always want to offer an action item for how people can develop as a leader. And this week is to do a deep dive into at least one of these conversations. Maybe you really enjoyed someone's perspective from a clip you heard. Well, go to the feed and download that full episode, because I think we can both agree the more time you spend listening to great leaders, the better you're going to be as a leader as well. I definitely agree with that, Kula, and we've got some great episodes to come. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so our episodes automatically download to your device as soon as they're released. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode so that you can apply it to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be. And Kula, thanks so much for joining me on this show. It was a lot of fun as always. It was an absolute blast.